Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. And welcome back to another episode of Three Spooked Girls. It is I, Jessica, one of your ghoul hosts, and I'm joined by one of my best ghoul friends, Tara. Hello, spooksters. This week, we are taking a trip across the country and back in time a little bit to a very haunted penitentiary, which is the West Virginia Penitentiary, or better known as Moundsville. Mm Mm-hmm. But before we jump into that story of Moundsville, we just want to let you know you can find us on all the social medias. We're on all of them, all the socials. Everywhere. Well, not everywhere. We're not on Snapchat. We're we're fighting that pretty hard. Is Snapchat still a thing, really, though? <laughs> I just use it for the filters. Facts. Yeah, facts. People, like, I just opened a Snap someone had sent me last year. All right. It wasn't there, but I opened it. <laughs> <laughs> But you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Three Spooked Girls. And if you want to hang out with us in our Facebook group, it is Three Spooked Girls Official. If you are one of our patrons in our Spookster Club, you have your own little group as well as another fun group, which is Top Secret, which you find out if you're a patron. And if you want to be a patron of the show, you can join for as little as a dollar. Just head over to patreon.com slash Three Spooked Girls, or go down to the show notes. Tara put that amazing link tree there that takes you any place you want to go in regards to us. It's also where you can find our website so you can check out all our sources. Also where you can find a link to our merch store, etc., etc. Yes, yes. And in uh, current time, we are about a week behind in Tara and Jessica time. Mm-hmm. We still have a couple of the many stickers left of our logo. If you aren't following us on social and have no idea what I'm talking about, we are doing a limited run on these cute little stickers of our cute little logo for any tier. So even if you sign up as a dollar patron, you can get your hands on that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we had like 10 to 15. So thank you all you new patrons who are hanging out with us over there. Definitely. So this week... Tara's going to bring us our drink. Tara and Kate got together and talked. And what are you bringing us? Oh, my God. Okay. This is so fucking weird. (laughs) So first time in history. Took a year and a half. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Since it is Valentine's week and there's also some violence in the story that we're going to talk about, of course, the Bell Witch and I decided on the Bleeding Hearts Cocktail. It's really simple. It's got pomegranate juice, strawberry vodka, some dry ice if you would like, and then some cute little strawberry hearts for garnish. If you want all those details, head to our socials tomorrow. The picture and all of that good stuff will be up for you there. Sweet. Yes, yes. Okay, so we're going to take a quick promo break and we will be back in just a moment. Are you a true crime junkie? Do you talk about true crime with your friends all of the time? And are there cases that have stuck with you for so many years because of geographic or emotional closeness? 
If so, then welcome to Fatalities. I'm Elisa Lucas, and this is the podcast where I explore true crime cases over tea with the help of my friends. Because without tea, friends, and good conversation, there's nothing but darkness and chaos. So grab a warm cup of tea and join me as my friends and I discuss the cases that have struck a chord with us and the related issues that might help us understand why such horrible crimes have occurred. The podcast is dropped every other Wednesday and is available on such podcatchers as Apple, Podbean, Spotify, and so much more. You may follow Fatalities on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, but don't forget that T's is spelled T-E-A-S, because here is where we spill the tea. Elijah, are you ready to bring on the weird? Yes, Will I am. Are you ready to bring on the weird? Did you did you just make a Will I am joke? Uh, yeah, I did. <laughs> nice. I'll allow it. Anyway, we're just a couple of harmless guys digging into weird things we don't know much about. We're just trying to figure out what the hell is happening in the world outside our homes. Do we get things wrong? Without a doubt. Are we learning from those mistakes? Not anytime soon. Are you entertained by the crap we're talking about? Of course. That's why I always listen to the show. You listen? All right, what, what do you like to listen to about the show? I like aliens, conspiracies, cryptids, NWO, shadow government, you name it. What? Oh, hold on. Do the aliens come from inside the Earth instead of interstellar travel? What made the conspiracy start? Why did that cryptid evolve to do the things it does? Who runs this NWO? Listen in as we dive into all manners of subjects as we bring on the weird. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Reddit. You can listen to clips of our episodes on our YouTube channel. Listen, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser.com. You can also listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, well, welcome back, and we're going to dive right in with some information. I'm going to handle the history aspect, and then Tara's going to hit you with all the ghoulish details mm-hmm. from the Moundsville Penitentiary. If you want to visit Moundsville Penitentiary, you still can. They have tours and such, but it's only seasonal. I think they take the winter months off because I don't think they heat the place. No. Um, (laughs) But it is located at 818 Jefferson Avenue in Moundsville, West Virginia, which is why it's called the Moundsville Penitentiary is because it's in the city of Moundsville. So we're going to take you back even just a little bit before the penitentiary was built. In 1863, West Virginia succeeded from Virginia, which I didn't know the reason why West Virginia succeeded from West Virginia was because they did not want to be part of the Confederacy because civil war was happening. Hmm. Sometimes we're educational people. Sometimes we come with little nuggets of knowledge. (laughs) You're welcome. Right? When West Virginia succeeded, Governor Arthur I. Borman lobbied the West Virginia legislators to have their own state penitentiary, and he was denied three times. Hmm. Basically, when West Virginia succeeded, and if you are still playing drinking games with us, you can say, drink to the word succeed this episode. My bad. (laughs) When they left Virginia... They didn't have any of the infrastructure. They weren't, they didn't have the capital. They didn't have any of that stuff. So they were like, what do we do? So they started to build some stuff, but the governor really wanted a state prison. And the legislators were like, nah, we just want to send, if they're really bad people, we just want to send them out of state. We want them to go away. Like, bye-bye. You don't belong here. (laughs) Later, Gators. Uh, Which... (laughs) It worked for a little bit until nine inmates escaped in 1865. And basically, they were like, okay, maybe we should do something. 
But the media beat him to it. So basically, the media was like, can you believe the state legislators? They don't want to put like murderers and rapists behind bars, like secured prison bars. They think it's fine for them to live in the county jail where there's less resources. Oh, media. Right. So on February 7th, 1866, the state legislator approved the purchase of land in Moundsville. They bought 10 acres of land for $3,000. Holy fuck. (laughs) Right. But hold on, people. Hold on for this conversion. It gets weirder. In 2019, $3,000 is only $53,066.92. You could buy like the size of my living room for $53,000. No, just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) Right. No, no. Seriously. In California, if you tried to purchase something for $53,000. It's going to be a crack house shack. (laughs) Yeah. No, because the land under the crack house is worth more than that. You can buy a motorhome, a small one, a small used one, maybe a double wide. You could buy an old double wide, but you still got to pay rent, which is like $1,500. Just saying. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. Like, California is wonderful, except for when you have to pay for shit. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's not so wonderful anymore. Yeah. So they have the land. They have 10 acres and they're going to build a prison. But they had to build a temporary wooden prison to house the inmates. And they built that in the summer of 1868. They also made the decision to have cheap labor and decided to hire the inmates to build this monstrosity. Seems like a common practice during that time. Very much because, you know, they already had to be there. So and you're supposed to be teaching them like values of hard work and not crime related. So Mm -hmm. also teaching them skills. So the decision was to or the I should say the design for the prison was a Gothic style or the Gothic revival style. And it was modeled after the North Illinois Penitentiary at Jolette. The first thing they built was the North Wagon Gate, which is this huge gate. And I chuckled really hard because it was like wagon gate. But then I realized like it was 1866 and <laughs> and they didn't have cars. <laughs> so the first phase would take them until 1876, which is when they built the North and South Hall. And then also the like the administrative part as well, which was the tower that connected the two. Mm-hmm. It was made with hand carved sandstone, which I don't know much about sandstone, but I don't think it's... Is it hard? I don't know. If I decide to look it up later, I'll look it up later. (laughs) It's not something I care that much about. I'm sorry, guys. (laughs) Somebody let us know. (laughs) Yeah. But it was hand cut out from a local quarry. And in fact, one of the first things they did is they dug a hole that was like six feet deep. And they put this like five foot by five foot, like five by five big chunk in there because they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put this down here and then nobody's going to escape because they're going to have to dig through it. And they never thought that people could just dig the fuck around it. What? So like I said, they had a South Hall, a North Hall, and then the administration. The administration tower was um, four stories high. It had the, the administration also where at one point in time the warden lived and also housed the women. But we'll get to that in a second. The North Hall and the South Hall were basically the same. There were 224 cells in their construction. They were seven by five feet. And the two halls were pretty much exactly the same, except for in the North Hall, it had a few extra rooms, which was the kitchen, the dining area, the hospital, and the chapel. So we're going to 
do a little timey, we're going to timey wimey journey today. And we're going to flash forward into the 1900s when there was a semi famous, well, became semi famous later female inmate. Charlie Manson, or Charles Manson, his mom was actually an inmate at Moundsville. Her name was Kathleen Maddox, and she served five years for armed robbery. Her and her brother, they were dubbed the Ketchup Bottle Holdup. That was the name of their crime. Hmm. She apparently filled a ketchup bottle full of salt and then robbed a guy for $35. She walked up to him and pressed the bottle into his back and forced him out of his car and then knocked him unconscious. I'm assuming with a bottle of salt. Yeah. Interesting. So Charlie says in one of his famous interviews, he's given so many over the years when he was alive, hmm. that one of his earliest memories is going to visit his mother at Moundsville. And he was actually very fond of Moundsville because in 1983, Charlie wrote a letter to the warden at the time. And I'm going to slaughter this name. And I'm so sorry, warden. <laughs> I'm sorry. Donald Borden Kircher asking him to allow him to move to Mountainsville because he wasn't getting a fair shake of things out in California. They just didn't treat him good. Boo-hoo. Was the gist of his letter. And if you actually visit Moundsville, you can see the letter that Charlie wrote to the warden. Oh, wow. But Warden Donald just was like not about to have this jerk of a human being in his prison and basically wrote back saying, it'll be a cold day in hell, Charlie. <laughs> So Charles didn't get to go. I get why he wanted to, because California just had a moratorium on the death penalty, whereas West Virginia had done away with it entirely. Yeah. So now we're going to go back. We're going to go back to 1876 when they officially opened the prison. They had 251 male inmates. When the prison opened, they had several occupational trades that the prisoners could take part of. They could be in the construction, the carpentry, the paint shop, the wagon shop, the stone yard, the brickyard, the blacksmith. They could be a tailor, a baker. They could work in the hospital or they could work on the prison farm because this prison was almost self-sufficient. Like I said, they had a farm which they would gather food from, I'm assuming. I don't know if they had animals. I didn't read anything about them owning any kind of animals, but they were basically self-sufficient. And to bring it kind of even more self-sufficient, in 1921, the prison opened a coal mine. So obviously prisoners could work in the coal mine as well. And it was a little over or a little under a mile away from the prison. And the coal powered the prison, which saved them $14,000 per year in the 1920s. Wow. According to the warden's report... The conditions at Moundsville were perfect during <laughs> the 20th century. It was all nice facilities and everything, but that's a lie. <laughs> Throughout the years, the conditions actually kept getting worse and worse and worse, and it became so bad because the living conditions were bad. And I don't know about you, but if I lived in a five by seven cell with two other dudes, I don't know if I would be a happy camper. And when you get a bunch of people pinned up, in a space, they become violent. And this led to Moundsville becoming so bad that it was on the U.S. Department of Justice's top 10 most violent correctional facilities. Like, there's a lot of, you know, correctional facilities. <laughs> like, oh, God, that's bad. And there was actually one particular part of the prison that was a hub or a hotbed for this nonsense, which was the infamous Sugar Shack, which was a recreation room. And it was known for gambling, fighting, and of course, apparently raping. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a room I want to know. No. Ever. Mm -mm. 
No, thank you. I get like the gambling part, like that part. I could see like, oh, pastime, play cards, gamble. The fighting, I'm like, okay, maybe someone's cheating. But the raping? Yeah. Really? Like, really Shawshank? Mm. Anyway, I digress. So in 1929, the state decided to double the size of the prison because like I just mentioned earlier, they were having men living in a five by seven cell and three of them. So they had bunk beds at the time. So one on each bunk and then they would roll it. They'd like throw a mattress in at the end of the day. And that would be that person's. They'd sleep on the floor, which is right next to the toilet. Gross. Mm hmm. And of course, in true prison fashion, they used the prisoners to build the expansion. So even though this is probably one of the most violent prisons, there's only 36 recorded and caught homicides that took place. But it was also known as the prison that everyone fucking broke out of. (laughs) Yeah. So on November 7th, 1979, 15 prisoners escaped from this prison. Oh, wow. Eight of them were captured the next day. They didn't get too far. And a ninth was found shot just like several miles away. Like, Mm. But one escapee by the name of Ronald Turney Williams, who was serving time for killing a police officer, during the escape, he stole a guard's weapon. So he was armed. Mm. When he was out in the world, he encountered an off-duty state trooper by the name of Philip Kesner. Kesner was driving with his wife down the street when he saw him. And obviously he saw him because he wasn't wearing like plain clothes. He was wearing like prison garb. Mm Mm-hmm. And he basically got out to confront him and Williams shot him. But even though Kesner was shot by Williams, and by the way, he was shot enough to later die from his injuries, Kesner still fired back. But Williams escaped and was on the run for actually 18 whole months where he would crisscross the country. During his escape time, he murdered a man by the name of John Bunchick in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was connected with crimes throughout Colorado and Pennsylvania. And finally, after a shootout with the federal agents in New York at the George Washington Hotel, he was captured in 1981. And then they returned him to Moundsville with some extra life sentences attached. Makes sense. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Now, Moundsville is also known for its riots. The really good thing is I watched this amazing kind of like someone videotaped a tour and this woman was so good. Like she gave so much information. And one of the things she talked about is across the street from the prison, like not very far, like literally across a street are homes. People lived there. Right. Yeah. So they would hear like anytime there was a riot, anytime there was an escape, they were like, oh, shit. But one of the ones they got to really observe was the riot in January of 1986, the year of my birth. (laughs) So it was New Year's Day and a bunch of the guards called out sick because, well, it's National Hangover Day, even back in the 1980s, which caused a problem because that meant the prison, which was already short-staffed, was even further short-staffed. Right. Basically, the prisoners had been paying attention and their living conditions were shit. Like they had rats. I think she described them as like the rats were as big as small dogs and cats, like cockroaches were as big as mice. (laughs) Yeah. And the violence was crazy. Yeah. So 
The prisoners were very upset about this and did not want to continue to live in such squalor. So at the time, there was 2,000 men in this prison, and the crowding was getting back again. There was mul- I think there was multiple people per cells again. So they were getting really cranky about it, to say the very least. Mm-hmm. But because of the fact that they were short-staffed and the COs or the officer, the guards called in sick, prisoners took advantage of this. Essentially, there was this one guy, and he was supposed to be like up in this one main area and he had a gun because in prisons not all guards carry guns because it would be silly because people could grab them off of them Mm -hmm. but the guy that was supposed to have the gun to watch out and like keep everything kosher decided not to fucking come to work that day so the prisoners decided to riot and take hostages so around 5 30 p.m 20 to 25 inmates who were a motorcycle gang called the Avengers stormed into the mess hall, took the captain who was there, which was Captain Glassock, and five other officers, plus the one guy who showed up for work who was a food service person. Poor dude. Just like showed up wrong time. They tackled them and slammed to the floor. They put knives to their throats and handcuffed them. In total, there was about 12 to 15. I read a couple different articles that said different So it's either 11 COs and one food service or 14 COs and one food service. Yeah. And they took them over and they took them into the South Wing. And this is where they were keeping them the whole time. And then the basically the prisoners and the Avengers elected a leader because he was a learned man. I don't know what that means. That's all they said is that he had an education. I don't know how much of an education he had. Mm hmm. His name is Danny Lehman. So he basically was speaking for the prisoners at this time. They contacted the governor right away. His name was Governor Arch A. Moore Jr. And when they called him because it was the holiday season, he was on vacation in Florida. And you would think that if you had a state penitentiary who is on lockdown, there's a riot, they have 12 to 15 people captured, he is going to spring into action and come back to the aid of these men But no, he decided to spend one more day on vacation, which I don't know if I were you, but if I was a fucking hostage in this situation, I'd be like, he, um, what? He, he's not coming? Be like, I quit if I live. If I live, I quit. (laughs) Or I would like a raise. I'd like a big raise. Thank you. Mm. Can I have your paycheck, sir? Right. Fuck. I showed up for work and got attacked and you were in Florida. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So after he got there. They began negotiations. The riot and hostage situation lasted 52 hours total, which probably would have been a lot less if Governor Moore had just fucking showed up at some point. Yep. Yeah. Most of the prisoners' demands were met because they wanted simple things like they wanted their toilets to flush and the shit not roll over the side. Mm. You know, get an exterminator up there and get rid of the the rat dogs and the, the mice cockroaches. The cockamouse. They need the cockamouse <laughs> to go. Yeah. There you go. So they basically got all the demands and the governor promised that they would get better living conditions, which was kind of a load of shit. Mm. So because the governor decided to not show up in a timely manner, when the hostages were released, typically there's like a photo shoot and like the governor shakes all their hands, but that didn't happen. They were like, fuck you. Hmm. So all in all, no hostages were killed, but two snitches were killed. They used that opportunity to kill a couple snitches because Moundsville snitches do not get stitches. They get coffins. So like I said, it was a violent history. A thousand men died. 36 died from homicide that they can pinpoint on. 85 were hung. 
kind of want to talk about some of the hangings for a minute. In 1951, one of the prisoners was hung and it went completely bad. Apparently, this particular gallo had issues. And when they <laughs> pulled the lever or they barely touched the lever and he fell and the door snapped up and shut and actually decapitated him. Oh, now we cannot confirm nor deny the truth of this story. But Char- Charles Manson swears his mother saw it. Mm. and the dude's head rolled to her feet. And then there's another guy, which Tara's going to talk to you a lot more about later, but he basically had to get hung twice. Tara will talk about that. Yeah. But back in the day, you could, if you lived in the Moundsville area and you wanted something to do and it was a hanging day, you could buy a ticket and go. That's how the government was subsidizing all their shit. They were selling tickets. Wow. At like, I think, 10 bucks a pop to go watch a hanging. Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. Moundsville eventually was forced to get a electric chair, but they resisted. In fact, the warden at the time went into detail saying why he felt that hanging was much more humane than the electric chair, which when I heard his reasoning behind it, I was like, okay, I'll give you that. Basically, he was saying that the process of the electric chair is very brutal on a body. All of your blood vessels burst. You basically are in like like every muscle is spasming and seizuring. And at this time, it was really faulty. It didn't always work, per se. Mm. So unfortunately, it didn't always kill people the first time. Not that the hanging thing obviously proved to be that fruitful at this particular place. But this warden particularly felt that the electric chair was not a good fit and that he said that with a hanging it was literally like a whole minute of a process you know you bring them out you walk them up the stairs you put like the bag over their head i think you put the noose around the neck they say their last words they do their little speech they pull the trigger boom gone versus where an electric chair can take up to like 20 like up to 20 minutes to get them ready and then also it takes about two to three minutes to actually like cause someone to become deceased. Mm. Well, I know we've talked a lot about the prisoners and their violence with one another, or we will, I should say. But the first thing we should talk about is how fucked up these COs were to these prisoners. I get it. A lot of them were in there for murdering and raping, and they did that in prison as well. But the COs were quite mean as well. What they would do is they would strap them down to this thing called a kicking Jenny. So they would strip them naked bend them over, strap them down to like, and it would like tie their hands to the ground. And then they would almost beat them to death and then take them back to their cells. They also would do this really fucked up thing where they would take a fire hose and bring them into the showers and turn the hose on at full blast, icy cold, and push the prisoners back into the wall and just hold it there as long as they freaking felt. So it basically gave these men the sensation of drowning without drowning. Oh my God. All of these like brutalities would make anyone go crazy. And there was about 300 escape attempts. We already talked about the one in the 19 in 1979. One of my favorites is these two men decided that they were going to escape and the prison had been very nice and put a like phone booth in the corner of the yard right up next to the gate or the fence. And they realized they could jump onto the roof of the phone booth and then jump over the gate and then get out. And they did. They escaped. Escape. <laughs> uh-huh. Several dug tunnels. Obviously, that didn't work with the whole, like, put the sandstone down there. Mm-hmm. Some just, like, snuck out. Like, guards weren't paying attention. They just snuck out like they weren't doing their job. 
But escaping was apparently the thing to do for Moundsville. Prisoner on prisoner was not such a good good time either. Tara's going to tell you about an attack a little later, but I'm going to tell you about our good friend Danny Lehman, who, mind you, he just brokered all of this shit for the prison, but the Aryan Brotherhood decided they didn't like him, and they decided to kill him. So the hall, or like the cell block that Danny was on, the guard was a lazy little asshole, let's put it that way. He basically wouldn't lock the cell doors. He wouldn't go in and do any kind of checks, anything like that. So he was just not a good, he was not a good guy. He wasn't doing his job. And the prisoners had figured this out. And so over time, they had been sneaking in things from different parts of the prison and they were storing them in their bunks because they were never going to do a bunk check because this guy just was like, I don't got time for that. So basically, they convinced this like one guy that they kind of know to get Danny to go down to the end of the cell block. And at the end of the cell block, the the way the doors opened, the guard wouldn't be able to see what was happening. And so they convinced him to go down there and all these Aryan Brotherhood jump him and basically stab him. And there's like a broom handle involved, I'm pretty sure. Or it's some piece of wood. I think it might be a piece of fence or a broom handle. And basically, they end up stabbing it through Danny's eye and then out the back of his head. And he didn't die right away. Then there was another guy, his name by the name of Michael McMillan, and he was just walking by and he ended up getting stabbed. So both of them ended up passing away. Michael bled out before they got to the hospital and Danny died a couple days later. He was on life support and they basically said he was brain dead and they don't Mm. keep prisoners on life support. Yeah. In 1992, the federal government came in and said, this place has got to get shut down. The toilets still weren't flushing. Things were really bad. I think a lot of the deaths were people were getting sick and dying. Mm -hmm. But it took them until 1995 to shut it down. They said it was inhumane. Now, like I said earlier, you can still take tours of this place. You just have to check their website to see when the season is. And when you do, you can see the art that these gentlemen painted and made. There's murals all over Moundsville. Let them paint and express themselves. But they apparently weren't the greatest because someone didn't tell the colorblind guy that he was painting the Ninja Turtles the wrong colors. So if you go and you look, all the Ninja Turtles, like they're Gary, you know how it's like purple, red, orange, and blue? They're all on the wrong person, the wrong turtle. Yeah. So now I'm going to hand it over to Tara, and she's going to talk about the spooky stuff. Okay. Along with being the top 10 most violent as far as correction facilities goes, it's also considered to be one of the most haunted prisons in all of the U.S. as well. So it's racking up the titles here. (laughs) (laughs) It's also listed on the National Register of Historic Places. We've got all kinds of death, anguish, and to quote locals, just plain evil. Pretty much, you know, everything Jessica just told us about. So not really a surprise that it's a huge hotspot for activity, given everything that Jess just told us. And if you do any research yourself, things you learn too. And just the simple fact there was not a lot of nice people there. And the fact that almost a thousand prisoners died, it was 998. So a lot of death. A lot of the activity that happens here is described as residual hauntings, and if you don't know what that means, basically it can be compared to like an imprint of an entity that's on a loop. So basically, multiple people would see the same ghost doing the same thing, and said entity can't interact with the present versus intelligent hauntings 
can. So the ones you kind of see more in movies and the ghost hunting shows that are like, let us know if you're here. And then they say something or do something to a light. That would be a intelligent haunt. But we do have a famous one that we'll get to a little later. Throughout the prison, visitors and staff kind of give the expected reports of seeing apparitions, smelling unpleasant odors, hearing strange noises and echoes, that feeling of being watched. And another that's not always common everywhere is hearing voices. One of the common phrases that people hear is, help, I'm trapped. Visitors who come here on their tours and whatnot have also said that they have felt as if someone's brushed against them, tapped them, and even shoved them, which is kind of scary. And along with that, people have caught evidence on camera as well, including ghostly mists, faces, figures, and orbs, which you know how we feel about orbs if you've been a listener for a while. Me and Jessica are kind of meh about orbs, but uh, not going to hate on what people believe. And some have also seen full-on apparitions in the form of prisoners in their uniforms, so that much detail, and they see them walking down the halls and then just disappearing through a wall. So super ghostly activity. Interesting. Yes. There's some popular hotspots in the prison as well, and Jessica chatted about the history side of them, so they'll sound familiar. The first one is the Sugar Shack. Now, given the background, you know, the gambling, the drug deals, the rape, the fighting, and then also murder happened here, this place probably has all the bad juju, like bad, bad, bad. All the bad. Yes. Down here, people have reported hearing voices arguing talking and also whispering and whispering to me is the most creepy thing to hear and not knowing where it's coming from i don't know why (laughs) that's just the most creepiest thing because it's like indistinct where you can't understand what they're saying but you hear it (laughs) yeah i get that and then others have heard just weird noises that they can't explain what they are so that's fun and felt cold spots within the room as well And honestly, the basement as a whole has a lot of activity as far as haunts go. It's said to be haunted by a maintenance man who worked there, and he was said to have often spied on the prisoners and was a snitch for the guards. And we know what happens with snitches here in this prison. They die. They get coffins. Yes. Not snitches get stitches. Snitches get coffins. In his case, like many others, he was stabbed to death in one of the bathrooms. And since his death, his ghost can be seen, you know, wandering around down there in the basement. And some people have also reported that there's been equipment malfunctions in relation to his sightings. So kind of interesting. Another hot spot is Jessica's favorite, the North Wagon Gate. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised that this has activity as it's the prison's oldest structure, but it is also... Fun fact, home to one of the most active ghosts in the prison. Jessica mentioned this a little earlier that there was a hanging gone wrong. So I'm going to talk about that for a minute. The prisoner's name was Orville Adkins, and he was hanged in 1938. This area is reported to give off an evil feeling when you're there, and people always feel like they're being watched. And if that's not creepy enough for you, it's also reported that people hear mysterious sounds and voices. It happens so much that people have actually caught this on EVPs. And to just add some more to this, there's apparitions in this area as well. So the gate is said to be haunted by Oroville, and he was condemned for kidnapping a minister who was later found dead. And then also fun facts about him, like Jessica said, his execution went wrong. 
basically what happened was they placed the noose around his neck and they were getting ready to hang him. But the assistant helping out was nervous and pulled the trapdoor handle too quickly. So Orville fell about 20 feet to the stone walkway. He was stunned and hurt, but he was still kicking. He was still alive. So they had to pull him back up and do it all over again. The second time they were successful in his execution. It's also reported that his footsteps are heard throughout this area. And it just sounds like he's slowly pacing back and forth. Another area that's extremely active as well is the North Hall, another area that we touched on too. A lot of people have gotten photos. They've seen equipment malfunctions here, and then they've heard cell doors banging when no one's in there. People feel really uncomfortable, to say the least, when they're in this specific area. And we have a uh, specific prisoner named Red Snyder, and his cell is in this area as well. And it's said for this cell to be particularly haunted. Now, when I did my research originally, I tried to find the Ghost Adventures episode on this, but that was season one, episode three. So that was really nowhere to be found. There was this really, really, really fucking awkward YouTube video on it, but it was like horribly cut and it didn't line up with the audio. So I just I couldn't fucking hang. I couldn't watch it. So I was like, screw this. (laughs) So I ended up watching this other kind of ghost adventures type of feel show, but it was more documentary style. It's in our sources. Disclaimer. It has the most cheesy narrator I've ever fucking heard. I swear. It's like, are you afraid of the dark or goosebumps level? (laughs) That's exciting. Right? But the interviews are good. So if you can get past the narrator, like, it's actually worth a watch. And it's, you know, only like 30 minutes. So fair warning with that. But if you'd like to know the more spooky stuff, kind of more, go watch that. And this is where I learned about Red. So Red, his name is William Red Snyder. He was convicted for murdering his parents and dismembering their corpses. Red was not a popular inmate at all. Pretty much everybody hated him. And he was involved in tons of fights. Eventually, he was attacked in front of his cell and he was stabbed 37 times. Obviously, he died. (laughs) It's a lot. Yeah. Red was supposed to be buried in the prison cemetery on Tom's run known as Whitegate Cemetery. However... Even though nobody liked him, they still had this weird respect thing for him and they were afraid of him. Maybe that's why they didn't like him because they were scared of him. I don't know. Anyway, the prisoners ended up taking a collection to have his body taken to the Riverview Cemetery, which was the local civilian cemetery. And this pissed the Moundsville citizens off. There was a bit of a little tiff about this, but after some fighting, Red's body was going to be allowed to be buried at Riverview. But what's interesting is there's no stone marks where he's supposedly buried. So they even more recently can't even say where exactly his body is. And then back to that YouTube video, there's this woman named Maggie Gray. She's a tour guide and she had an encounter with Red after death. So one morning before the tours opened up, she was just doing her normal walkthrough, you know, like probably checking things, opening whatever they have to open as far as doors go, things like that. And she walks past his cell and she says she hears a man's voice clear as day say, morning, Mags. And she's by herself. So she's like, uh, what the fuck? Obviously, 
couldn't do anything about it right then because they were about to open. So she had to go through work. She had to go through her shift. But when they closed, she decided to contact a paranormal investigator friend named Polly Gear. And they went back into Red Cell to see if they could recreate the voice, pick it up, conjure his spirit, essentially, see what the fuck is going on. At first, while they were there, they couldn't get anything. And then on this video, Polly said she she had a feeling that she wasn't wanted or something like that. So she decided she was going to leave the cell. So Maggie was in there by herself and she was just asking questions like, are you here? Say hello and was getting no response. Then I'm guessing after, you know, they've probably been there a while. She kind of tries to just as a last resort is like, just give me a sign red. And she doesn't get a voice, but she says she felt a cold finger run across the back of her neck. Mm, No, no. Yeah. And she said at this point, she knew she needed to get the hell out of there. Yes, Mags, run. (laughs) And then I can't quite remember if this was the same night or if they ended up going back another night, but I believe it might have been a different night because they really wanted that voice. So she ended up telling Red or going to his cell and saying this out loud that his killer had recently been released from prison. In real time, she heard nothing. But when the ladies went back to review all of their recordings, you can hear a man's voice answer, I already knew. According to other articles and stuff I read, it said that he doesn't like to be seen. So it seems like he's kind of more standoffish. But some investigators have obtained other EVP evidence, um, (laughs) including explicit language. So he likes to cuss. And then also EMF readers will spike and hit in his cell. And then people have had good luck also via spirit box sessions, which isn't surprising because it seems like the voices and talking is a really common experience to have in the prison. So that seems like a really smart tool to take. That's kind of wraps up for my for the haunt aspect, but Jessica touched on real quick about the tours, and I wanted to just kind of give you guys some little info on that, especially if we have anybody kind of close. It's in the spring, so when you're hearing this, it's February. You have to wait till about April is when they open back up for this season, I believe. There are main websites in our sources, so you can, you know, go click through. But they have a couple different tours and stuff like that. So they have daily tours that are just, you know, your basic tour, probably what Jessica, what you watched parts Mm -hmm. of on YouTube. It's like a 90 minute tour and it's the historic aspect and things like that. And they're April through November. So a couple months, guys, a couple months, guys. But they do all kinds of cool stuff. And then they have specials for groups. They even do photography tours because honestly, like you guys have to look on the socials if you haven't. It's a beautiful building. Mm hmm. So if you're into photography or you're a photographer, like you could get some great photos. And then as far as the paranormal side goes, they do night tours. Some include three hour tours. Some are overnight and things like that. And with that, you do also get basically how they set it up according to the website is you get the 90 minute tour. But then after that, you're allowed to go investigate on your own. So you kind of get free roaming. So that's cool. Mm. And then it looks like if you go on a Thursday, it's called their Thriller Thursdays. So you get extra time, like extra hours and stuff. So that might be worth worth it too. And then they have like all kinds of cool events during Halloween season. 
What's interesting is like usually with these haunted places, it's very adult geared, but they have stuff for kids. They have um, like a family night. They have a kid's night. And it looks like they partner up with like charities and stuff like that. And they have zombie paintball. So there's all kinds of stuff they do. They seems like they obviously really embrace this paranormal spooky side of things. So that's cool because some of these places don't so much, you know. And they also, which I think is my favorite thing, they have an, an escape room type of situation, which is kind of scary, kind of fun. I think if I was ever there, I would want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does sound fun. Yeah, because regular escape rooms are fun, but I guarantee theirs are like that extra level. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it's like in an actual haunted prison. So yeah, if any of you guys close to the area go, we'd love to see pictures, videos, hear your thoughts, things like that. Or if you have, if someone listening has been, let us know if you've had an encounter or what you, what you thought about it. Yes, we would love to see that. Yeah. So um, that's going to wrap it up for me. I'm going to hand it to you to sign us off here. Okay. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode on Moundsville Penitentiary or the West Virginia State Penitentiary. We had a fun time researching it and learning some new stuff. If you want to hang out with us on socials, again, we are at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at Three Spooked Girls. Our Facebook group is Three Spooked Girls Official. You can come hang out with us and talk about the case or whatever you want. It's a place for positive, uplifting, overall great environment. And we will catch you on Thursday for a stabby snippet. Bye. Bye. Bye.